Clytus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? An obscure body in the SK system, Your Majesty. The inhabitants refer to it as the Helming Power Hour. <laughs> Episode 15, I can't believe it, episode 15 of the Hell Ming Power Hour, and I'm here with my brother from another time bandit, Danny Bennett. That's right, and we have uh, some Val Kilmer, some Ralph Richardson, some David Rappaport. We got all that going on in this episode. Some John Cleese. Some John Cleese, <laughs> some Michael Palin, some Shelley Duvall. Right. We have two of uh, our, our all-time favorite movies. One is definitely a staple, you know, and everybody who knows anything about movies knows Time Bandits. And uh, and then the second is Willow, who somehow missed its mark and didn't get quite the audience it deserved. Right. We're looking forward to episode 15. I, I know that we'd get this far because we have way more movies to cover. So, you know, we, we're easily covered up to, what, like 150? Easily, and that's that's just off the top of the cuff is just far as just thinking of what we can do. Uh, that's not even really diving deep into the dumpster. That's just yeah. off the things we could just think of that actually having to go and look. Yeah. There's no dumpster diving yet. <laughs> not yet. I love doing that on Friday <laughs> night. It's the smell of it, you know, and that's the smell in. of it. <laughs> I've been swimming in raw sewage and I love I it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> that's coming up too, no doubt about yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> that's going to be a fun time. All right, so we'll be right back. We're going to start off with Time Bennett's. Be right back. The Hail Ming Power Hour is brought to you by Master Blaster Methane. Who runs Barter Town? Master Blaster runs Barter Town. And loyal subjects of Mongo like you. Hail Ming! All right, welcome back. It seems like we should have covered this movie probably a long time sooner than we are right now because this one is definitely a, uh, an important movie for us. Uh, we've quoted it a lot. I don't know anybody that doesn't like this movie. I haven't seen it in a long time, but went back and revisited it, and I think I like it more now than I did then. I found a lot more humor in it than I did when I was younger and I saw this movie. And, oh, there's uh, definitely, yeah. Yeah. There's I, definitely stuff in it that as a kid... I didn't get. Right, right. So it's really cool to go back and revisit this, man. It's a really fun movie. And uh, to give us a rundown on it for the movie Time Bandits we're talking about, we've got <laughs> Slowpoke Rodriguez. Hello. My name is Slowpoke Rodriguez. Time Banditos. 
1981. A young boy accidentally joins a bandito of dwarves as they jump from era to era looking for treasure to steal. I'm hungry. <laughs> so that's a legit one. Here's the, here's the other one I had to go back and redo. <laughs> so to give us a synopsis for Time Bandits is a real crappy Bobcat Goathwaite. <laughs> Time Bandits. <laughs> this movie is about a little boy who falls in love with the baseball bat. <laughs> they go around the world chasing balloons. They run out of time. Because it's all taken from a bandit. It was made in 1962. Directed by John Lennon. Hope you enjoy it. It's a classic. Uh, as ridiculous as that second plot is, the first plot is pretty ridiculous, too. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, Time Bandits. I, I looked into it a little when I was when I was doing this just because... The internet's around now, and it wasn't before. I read about Terry Gilliam trying to get this movie made. He wanted to make Brazil, and they wouldn't let him. So they asked him if he would make a family movie. <laughs> and, and he pitched Time Bandits to him. Apparently, he acted the whole thing out for them in, in the, uh, the room with the producer. And uh, he got into an argument with them about the ending, too. You know, the fact that the kid gets left in the middle of the road with his parents just being vaporized and he's just <laughs> sitting there. It's like, yeah, I, I remember being a kid watching that going, well, what's going to happen now? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, uh, it's a one of a kind movie. Uh, I don't think at this time I really knew who Terry Gilliam was. It's just, yeah. I, I saw this movie and, and it's got all the elements of what you like about the stuff. And, and we'll get into that as we go along. We'll just go ahead and yeah. jump into it. Danny. Why do we watch Time Bandits? Oh, why don't you watch Time Bandits? I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that the reason to watch Time Bandits, for me, my my favorite thing about it, is David Rappaport, the 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 leader of the band of dwarves, uh, Randall. Right. I love everything about that character. Right. Always have, and I always will. Yeah, he's awesome. Uh, was he in Under the Rainbow as well? Yes. Okay. Yeah, he was in Under the Rainbow. Uh, he was in uh, The Bride. Oh, that's we just right. brought that up with you know, Clancy Brown being Frankenstein's monster, and, and uh, he meets uh, David Rappaport on the road. Right. He becomes his buddy. I, I love him to death, man. It's great. It's actually another thing I read about it was that there was the whole there was no leader of the band thing was, was something that was, was going on, the, the band of dwarves who were going through time stealing things. They didn't have a leader, and the character of Randall was supposed to be and kind of off screen. David Rappaport didn't communicate with or interact with the other guys and they kind of resented him for it. Right. So they played that in and they wrote new stuff for him that was, is even more inflammatory. So they, they really wanted him to kind of stand away from the rest of them. Right. So to me, one of the big things I had is his epic eighties look to it. You see a lot of effects in this that become standardized eighties effects throughout the rest of the decade. This is 81. And some of the stuff that they pull off, the doors that just pop up in the middle of nowhere, it's an mm. empty blank space with a blue trim around it. You've seen it a thousand times. Uh, 
to me, it's just a setup of every young boy's dream again because it's like it's almost like the boy in ET. These things just start happening, and you follow him with on the adventure. It's one of those things you wish would have happened to you when you were a kid. I mean, who doesn't want to time travel? For those who haven't seen it, you know, his parents are fixated with kitchen appliances and game shows. That's about him. And one night, a, a horse charges through his closet. His parents come in, what was all that about? You know, everything's fixed. And he does I don't know why everything was fixed, but, you know, they just, they don't know why that happened. And uh, they, they didn't see it. They just heard it, and they, they say, you know, well, just keep it down. They don't know what's going on. They, they could care less about Kevin. Right. And uh, the next night, he just gets a, a camera, and he waits for something to happen. And what happens is the the, the time bandits show up. Again, the, the little boy is infatuated with army guys and, and people throughout history and military and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, when it comes crashing through, it's pretty awesome, man, because that second night, he goes to bed. He's got the Polaroid camera and the flashlight. He ready to rock it. You know, see, anyway, the, the concept is, is straight up Terry Gilliam. I mean, it's bizarre. Right. It takes you through. It's like a number of skits that, that happen through time, too. Like in every one of the little places they stop, something happens that's, that's like a beginning and end, and then it moves on to the next story. That's why it takes so long. It's a long movie. Right. We were talking about it before we started, about two and a half hours, and it's full. Right. It is completely full. Why do you watch this movie? Napoleon. Napoleon. Played by Ian Holm. Awesome. I mean, and there's a long section there in the, you know, during the Napoleonic Wars, and he's he's fixated with little people. You know, <laughs> I want the little people hitting each other. He's, he's, uh, Slapping each other and kicking each other around. <laughs> so pretty soon, the, the band of, uh, of, of, of dwarf th- thieves, which, you know, consists of, I wrote them down, uh, Vermin, Strutter, Og, Fidget, Randall, and Wally. Wow. Yeah, well, I, I knew at least half of them. I don't know. Like, I knew Fidget. That's about it. Fidget is Kenny Baker. Right. You know. R2-D2. And, uh, and apparently Kenny Baker did not get along with uh, David Rapport either. But anyway, <laughs> so the, the, a lot of them, they come in, and, and it just so happens Napoleon. Napoleon has uh, got his little man syndrome, so he wants to see littler people. And so they fit right in, and he makes some generals. And uh, and then the, the whole time they're talking, the whole time that he's got them at dinner, they're eating the, the feast or whatever. He's just talking about conquerors and how tall they were. <laughs> and, and I love, I love the fact that he's watching the puppet show and then the puppeteer gets shot. Yes, <laughs> I've got it in my notes. The puppeteer gets shot. It's such a terror. It's such a Monty Python thing to happen. Yeah, it is. It's so gruesome but funny. <laughs> Oh, uh, and he stands up and starts applauding at the end after he's been shot. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Isn't it like the, the, the whole puppet box falls over? Yeah. And the guy's the, uh, got, got blood, you know, and there's blood on the puppets. <laughs> His feet are hanging out of the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's great. So, so, yeah, we might not be this, doing this a service. If you haven't seen Time Bandits, in a nutshell, these this, this band of, of little people have stolen – a map from the Supreme being that has all these holes in the universe, all these time holes. And their, their idea is really that they're going to steal things through time, get rich. And if they ever do get caught, there's no way to, uh, there's no way to persecute them because, you know, they'll just go to a time before the crime was committed. Right. 
and they end up picking up this kid and he falls right in with him. He's, he's obviously better than they are. They're, they're kind of scummy, but, <laughs> but they uh, want to be. And being chased by the Supreme being, man. Yes. That's awesome. I mean, he, you know, he's, he's typical, you know, Terry Gilliam animation, you know, his big head is floating at them. Return what you have stolen. Right. It's very wizard of Oz looking, you know, the head come floating through and yeah. And, uh, that's always the visual that sticks in my head as far as this movie. I mean, it's just a great, great scene that, uh, like I said, reminds you of the of the the wizard, Wizard of Oz, but uh, more mobile. Yeah. So just to bring that on, here's a reason to watch the movie. When they pick up Kevin, the the time hole is unlike any of the other ones in the movie. They push on one of his walls and it just keeps moving. Right. And as they're they're pushing it, it becomes like a tunnel, and as they're doing that, they turn around and the supreme being has has found them and is chasing them. He's just this big glowing head floating down after them, telling them to return what they've stolen. Yeah, there's a reason to watch it right there. Then they fall through and they end up in France during right. the, yeah. the wars there. Yeah. So another reason to watch it: the map that they're carrying, man, which is exactly what he's talking about. It lays out where basically all these wormholes are that they can drop from time to time. Very reminiscent of I'm going to say it. Bill and Ted. Bill and Ted stole that idea. Well, you know, I, I just think they might have visited some of the, the same places in time just because just like Time Bandits, Bill and Ted wanted to hit some points that everybody knew from history. Yeah, I mean, it's a time travel movie and it's got Napoleon in it. Uh, I just I just don't see them being all that similar. I, mostly because Time Bandits is so far reaching. It's about a group of dwarves that worked for God that stole a map and they decided to become thieves and end up being pursued by both God and evil. But it, there's nothing like it. Bill and Ted had George Carlin. I rest my case. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, so that we kind of had a little back and forth on this one because yeah, I, I brought well, up the Bill and Ted because of the fact of traveling through time experiencing these things. They also have a period where they get stuck in time and they have to find a way to get out of it. It's pretty typical tropes. I just think sure. Bill and Ted borrowed a lot from Time Bandits. Well, yeah, and Diane Franklin's in Bill and Ted, too, so there's that. <laughs> Diane, if you're out there, you know, I bought your book. All right, moving <laughs> on. I've got so many reasons. I mean, I, I after the, the French... Uh, portion of it they end up in in sherwood forest they end right. up in the middle ages right in sherwood forest and then robin hood and john cleese's robin hood is worth the price of admission he's right. hilarious right yeah i mean that's that's what that's that's one of the parts i went back and saw again and enjoyed it so much more this time around than i did when i saw it when i was a kid so hilarious well yeah he's so over the top you know the merry man in typical uh, again in typical terry gilliam form everybody's just dirty and nasty and gross and all their clothes are gross and they're the merry men, but they're just awful people. <laughs> and you know, <laughs> and the stupid hat, man, <laughs> with the brim out, it's like this long in the front. Yeah. Well, it's like everybody else is like, they really are li living in the woods in the middle ages. They're dirty and gross. And then he comes out and he's wearing green tights and he's wearing a, like a, <laughs> a, a baldric and he's, he's, He's all clean. He's oh, jolly good. Yes, yes, of course. You know, he's just man. That's he's a, so over the top. You do such a good and, John Cleese, man. Thank you. Yeah. But, uh, he, as 
as Robin Hood, he's fantastic. And and the jokes that they come out of that, you know, as they're handing off the, the loot that, that these guys have stolen to the poor. Oh, the poor, they, well, they're wretched. They don't have two cents to together, but that's because they're poor. You know, they're handing them gold goblets and paintings and stuff. And as they do, one of the merry men is just laying them, just punching them in the face. And, and, he, and he asks the guy because he can't understand anything. The guy says, "Is that totally necessary?" And he says, uh, "Yes, it, it uh, necessarily it is." Yes. And then the guy says, "And then the guy goes, yeah, he's afraid." He's. And it's just, it, it's it's ridiculous. But I mean, you, you kind of get to thinking yeah, that's probably what they'd be like. They're a bunch of thieves living in the woods. They're yeah. probably pretty awful. <laughs> It's great, man. I love that scene. And the whole oh, yeah. run in with the uh, with uh, Michael Palin and, and Shelley Duvall through the whole thing. Uh they did a little time hopping themselves. You know, one minute yeah, they're in Sherwood, then they're on the Titanic later on and, and uh and basically reprising the roles from right, both right. both time periods. So they they play Star Cross lovers that show up in two different time periods. I think it's only two and yeah. uh and they're kind of always Oh, well, I love you so much. Well, I love you too. You know, and then, then of course, they get dropped, a bunch of dwarves drop on them. And then, uh, and then something awful happens to them. That's just what happened. You won't, you uh, won't have to wear the special tonight. <laughs> oh, no, I don't have to wear the special anymore. So, uh, another thing I read about that was that, that um, Michael Palin wanted to play Robin Hood. But at the time, John Cleese was a bigger name. So they, wow. they kind of kicked him out for that, but but they gave him the job as, is it Vincent and Pansy? It's not. Uh, it's, I didn't write their names down. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't either. That's why I didn't. I mean, like, her name is Pansy. But. <laughs> Another reason to watch this, arm wrestling with a leper. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, again, the, 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 the merry men are, are, you know, doing their, their stuff and one of them's having these arm wrestling com- contests and he just breaks this guy's arm off and throws it in a bucket full of arms. <laughs> Like he's been breaking them off all day. <laughs> oh, it's great, man. Only, I, I think only because the setup is so long, too, because, I mean, you know what's going to happen, but they just stand there forever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's terrible. Oh, it's great. Right before they leave the, the Middle Ages, you know, Kevin takes a picture of the map. Right. Which comes in later. Sure. I just kind of wanted to mention that. And then um, Evil shows up at the Evil. point. Yeah, well, uh, well, evil, evil's influence. Supreme being starts coming at yeah, that's right. And then the two doors open, right? And, and at this point, evil has has noticed that they have stolen the map, and the embodiment of evil, played by David Warner, wants the map. So he starts to to do things behind the scenes to try and bring them to him. At this point, and one of the things he does, he opens up two time portals side by side, and I love this too because. Uh, Kevin gets away and the other ones are pinned down and Randall says, just go. And he says, which one do I take? He says, just go. Just go. And then, why does he jumping through? <laughs> says, no, not that, that one. one. <laughs> like, wouldn't that be the worst thing ever? And kids, what do you think about David Warner? Yeah. David Warner. Man, what a performance in this movie. He's fantastic. Yeah. As, as he, so, so, I mean, of course, you got Kevin falls through the, the portal, and that's where he meets Agamemnon, who's kind of the uh, played by Sean Connery. Uh, it, when he comes in, he's fighting the Minotaur, and uh, it's what a weird fight sequence that is. The Minotaur's got this club, and 
and he's just laying waste to him. And Kevin shows up in an opportune moment, lets it kill him. And then he, you know, Agamemnon Munn takes him in. He's right. like, well, come on, stay with me. Yeah. And he, it's almost like Kevin's willing to stay there and, right. and he's willing to keep him as a son, but it's not to be. Right. Know, right. And there's some freaky stuff at this point too. And, and again, this movie is so Gilliam that uh, you see these kind of recurring things throughout, even through the Monty Python stuff. But you know, the, uh, the gold faced, I don't even know what they were. Well, yeah, they're Macedonian masks. They were right. in Macedonia. And it was just something that I think the the humors would wear, you know, maybe the judges would wear them. I know they did them in theater. But yeah, yeah, really weird stuff. Really good period work. Right. And that's what Terry Gilliam does. He brings an authenticity to films right. that I just, I, I can't think of another director that does as well. with. Even when he does something like The Brothers Grimm, which is really a very fantasy thing. It's still very dusty, and, right. and it seems very, like I said, it seems very genuine. I, I think that's a good way to describe a lot of his movies is dirty because, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. they feel that way. Munchausen, all these movies had that look about them. They're like beautiful but dirty at the same time. Yeah, it's like, it's like they took – it's like they had costumes and set maids, and they just made sure as a final step – they just layered it all in dust. Yeah. You know, like, like whenever they, they pat something, dust comes up off of it. Everybody's kind of dirty and gritty. And it works. Terry Gilliam is, I, I can't, you know, 12 Monkeys. Right. You know, uh, Fisher King. It, all the characters, they seem genuine or at least they seem real because yeah. there's just this layer of weird funk all over everything. Definitely does that in Time Bandits. I mean, I think it, it, might, be his, it might be his quintessential work. Could be. So something else I noticed in this movie, we've, yeah. se- we've seen this in something else, but when Evil and them are standing over, they got like the big bird bath, you know, the little the little water thing like we saw in Beastmaster, where they can kind of spy on what's going on, but they're looking into a pool of water. Yeah, yeah. And his, his, his henchman's, oh, look, look, I've got this. You know, his, his ridiculous <laughs> those, dumbass henchmen. Those guys, yeah. man, they're awesome. Do I get it today, boss? <laughs> I wrote down their names because I was like, their names are Robert and Benson. <laughs> I was like, Robert, I, I need to. This 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 demon wearing a, a shirt made out of plastic with a horn. <laughs> the horn out sticking his out. His name is Robert. <laughs> and you know, he, he goes on a you know, evil goes on a tire about how he wouldn't have bothered to create. You know, butterflies and daffodils. Instead, he would have started with lasers. Eight o'clock, day one. You know, and, and, and machines. And he's talking about machines and computers. And right. actually, when I started listening to that, I was kind of like, they, they were onto something there. Like, you know, the way technology has changed everything. Right. It is a little evil. Sure. It's, it's good too, but you know, I don't know. Yeah. Not to get too esoteric, but it's definitely a movie that has layers. Absolutely. For sure. Well, you know, as they're leaving Robin Hood, I, I did write down a quote. Uh, it was a. Uh, Kevin says about Robin Hood, he was one of my heroes. And he is heroes. What do they know about a day's work? <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a great line. And then it goes into the whole, you know, he created you evil one speech. Where the, and here's a reason to watch it. Watch for the first time evil comes in. One of his henchmen says, well, you know, the Supreme being isn't all bad because he created you. And he just points at the guy and the guy explodes. Right. <laughs> and, he, and then he says, you know, I created myself. And the next guy says, but if he, but if he didn't create you, then why do you, 
why are you stuck here at the Fortress of Ultimate Darkness? And he blows that guy up too. And he says, well, that's a good question. And he answers it. He's just blowing people up. Yeah. These big gas explosions. <laughs> yeah, all that stuff. Another thing I got, Winston the Ogre, man. Winston, Winston the, the Ogre. And his wife. <laughs> From Who's the Boss? That's right. That's right. Kathleen Hellman. Right. Who was also on Soap. Right. I love her to death. I, yeah. I've always loved her. And, and her as... Okay, so so they, they end up in the time of legends, which is where evil has kind of right. coerced them into coming. And the first thing that you know, they, they're in the ocean, and there's this ogre that's on a ship, and he's out casting that for fish, and he's married to Kathleen Hellman. And even though he's an ogre, you know, he's like, "Well, you know, I've got this bad back, and I've got these liver spots." And she's like, "Oh dear, Winston, I'll just give you a balm or a tonic." And she's like, you know, and she's just the doting wife, and he's the aging husband. And, it, and it's just great because it, he's even though he's an ogre, he's still just an old dude, you know. Right. Yeah, I just thought that was great, and of course they they kind of help him out to keep him from eating them, but at the same time they plot to throw him overboard because they land on his ship and uh, they throw him overboard. And <laughs> at the time, he doesn't even recognize they've done anything wrong to him because he's so thrilled that his back feels better. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then they throw her overboard as well. So they got the ship. And then the ogre. And they think they got the ship. Right. The ogre, what, does he cough or what does he do? <sighs> he, I think it's, he's yeah. got to finally uh, cough. And, and when he coughs, it catches the sails and yeah. blows them. And, Far away. And, and, I'm just yeah. going to, like, I, got, I turned the page on my notes, and I'm going to say, here's some things about the movie. Um, first of all, you know, there's a meet, there's a feast there in Macedonia. Um yeah. When, when they chop open the the big you know carcass of the 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 bull and it's full of plastic fruit, yeah, it's very plastic fruit, but it looks great. You know, <laughs> the, at that feast, that whole feast sequence is awesome. Um, then I've got you know um, you know right before they go into the time of legends, they're on the Titanic, right? You know, of course, it's all just a lead into the joke of waiter, more champagne <laughs> and plenty of ice, and plenty and then, of ice. Uh, <laughs> you know, they all get thrown in the water. And you know, in the of the ocean, they create the portal of the time of legends. So they're in the middle of the ocean in the time of legends. Um, and they meet the ogre and they think they get the ship, but really the ship is just a hat. So I've got, <laughs> yeah. nowhere else will you find a long sequence where someone uses bellows to stab a giant in the head <laughs> with drugs because he's wearing the ship they're in as a hat. <laughs> That's poetic, Never, man. That's poetic. I, I, I wrote it down because I was like, man, there's nowhere else. I cannot think of another place where you'd see anything remotely that strange, except maybe in another Terry Gilliam movie. It's, al- it's almost as strange as a hippie playing a French horn. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, they, they just Maybe they play the flugelhorn <laughs> or the pan flute. <laughs> maybe. Or maybe, maybe. If Gene, maybe if Gene Hackman had... And cigars, cigars. <laughs> the the all of the little people do great performances. I mean, like I, I've named them all earlier. Vermin is always eating stuff, right? And I was Vermin. Would you stop, stop. eating? He's just a little bearded <laughs> dude who, who just tries to eat everything. And then Wally's like drunk, and he's got like a pirate hat on, and and uh, Strutter's kind of the the smart guy with the the glasses, who's kind of the second in command. I would say. Right, it's uh, Kenny Baker. He's he's kind of the conscience of the group. He's always telling yeah. them, maybe we shouldn't do this. And then he's got the little, the little little kind of mining hat, whatever. He's got the little he's candle got the mining on top. hat with the candle on top. Right, but it really is like, know, just like a, a female coif. 
Right. It looks more like just a food strainer with a candle strip to it. <laughs> it really does. And, and Og is the, is the the silent one who has the horn. One horn, Except yeah. He's got a biking helmet with one horn on it. He's the one that was in the in the safety dance video. Was he? Yes. I didn't know that. Yeah, there you go. We're here to teach you Og, on the Hell Being Power Hour, folks. Og was the reason that they got kicked out of the Supreme Being's job because he invented the pink bunkadoo, the, the giant tree that was 90 feet tall and smelled terrible. And so because he invented that, they all got they all got the sack. But, <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so, you know, they... They end up in the Fortress of Ultimate Darkness in the Time of Legends. There's a whole lead up to that. It's right. definitely worth watching, but I'm yeah. not going to get into it. The escape and, scene, man, from cell to oh, cell, all that stuff is incredible. Everything from that point on is yeah. worth watching. They yeah. they go over a giant maze because on the other side is this big like game show. Um, <laughs> your your money or your life. <laughs> right, right. It's it's a uh, it's Ziegler. It's a uh, it's uh, the guy from the guy from Moulin Rouge is the is the game show host. Uh, he's also oh, yeah. the, yeah, yeah, I, I can't think of his name right now, but Kevin's parents are over there, you know, come on, Kevin, you know, they, they're wearing big shiny suits and stuff. <laughs> um, but the, the, all the, they, they all run over there to get their prize, the most fabulous object in the world. Right. And really when they get over there, it was just a ruse to get them to give him the map. And, and then it, they end up in a giant cage that they have to escape from. Right. Which, that whole sequence is incredible. I was going to say it's, the the maze part is just yeah. like what's in uh, Hellraiser two, when yes. they when they go through. I mean, I was like, wow, they just totally took this idea. So, yeah, I mean, there's more stuff. This is more like it's raised. So if you fall off the edge, you right. you die. I think in Hellraiser two, it's actually a maze. Right, Where you walk it's, through. You yeah. see the like the labyrinth. Like right, the labyrinth. right, right, right. So, um, but but yeah, I mean, it, it definitely looks a lot like it, and. The, the, the escape scene from the the cages killer. There's these giant cages that are suspended, and they figure out a way to get out using the rope that suspends the cage. It is incredible, and I've never right. seen anything like it. So, one one of my favorite scenes is towards the end when they all bring in all the people from the different time periods to fight evil, and the cowboys throw the lassos around him, and it does the thing where it's like the carousel, right? Yes. And the, the thing comes up out of his head, and oh, that's just killer, man. I mean, it you can tell it's fake, but such a bizarre idea. Well, and he looks fake anyway. Right. You know, it, it's like it looks great for what it is because you can believe that he just became a statue and, and then became a, a killer carousel thing. Right. Uh, th- that's definitely a reason to watch it. I mean, like, you you watch it for the, the giant hook-handed cattle skull things that right. he calls oh, out yeah. to go catch everybody. Yeah. Those things are the things of nightmares. Right. I mean, Terry Gilliam just dreams this stuff up literally and puts it on the screen. Right. Cause these things are 12 feet tall. They have cattle skulls for heads and they have these big bone hooks and they're just running around making these screaming noises. Right. Um, something else to look for Legos. Do you notice yes. Did the Legos in the back? When I was a kid, I noticed that, that the fortress of ultimate darkness looks like it was made of giant black Legos. And yeah. I was like, it, it looked too much like it for me to dismiss it as just like a trick. And then some of the, the where it's, when it's falling apart, you could tell. Right. It's again, it, it's like a dream. It, it's really nightmarish when you get there. Right. And like to the showdown with, with evil at the end, because Kevin realizes that the time of legends is just a big hole. 
so they could go anywhere in time from there. Right. So he, so when they escape, they all run different places to get help. Another thing I read was that Sean Connery was supposed to make a return as the guy who, the, the guy who was in charge of the archers. When oh, they came yeah? so, so when they go to different times, Randall busts through the, through the, uh, the wall in a Sherman tank. Strutter shows up with a bunch of knights, you know, <laughs> mounted with, with lances and fidget shows up with all the archers. Right. And, Wally shows up in a big like spaceship with lasers, right, right, right. And then Vermin shows up from the Wild West, and Og didn't go with him because he was turned into a pig. A pig. Which, yeah. ironically, we got two movies here that we kind of grouped together, and I don't think we were really even thinking about it. But you got the instances of why these two kind of go together, which is dwarves for one thing. Dwarves. But yeah. both movies have people turning into pigs in them. It's true. Yeah, I, I, I'm really. We were just talking and and i said hey i want to do time bandits and we said well what can go with it we said well willow yeah you know we didn't really think about these connections they just seemed like they fit together right and now we know why why again pigs and dwarfs yeah (laughs) what else you need okay (laughs) and bill and ted and bill and ted (laughs) (laughs) all right I just got to give one thing. You know, I, I love the showdown at the end. Uh, oh, yeah. Evil dispatches all these, these, you know, I said all the reinforcements that came into points. They can't hold a candle to evil. He takes them all out. Right. And, and then the Supreme being finally catches up with him. And Sir Ralph Richardson as oh, the yeah. Supreme being. Yeah. It's fantastic. It's yeah. definitely worth the wait to see him come out because as usual, he does it. He does a phenomenal job. That's, right. that's all. And then at the end, he says, you know, he'll bring them back, but with a 19% reduction in salary backdated to the beginning of time, which probably means they're never getting paid. Right. <laughs> yeah, he's fantastic in it. And the whole ending sequence where they, he wakes up, he's home, house is on fire, yeah. that whole sequence. And, of course, the ending of it is iconic with uh, yeah, his- the parents looking into the little little oven, you know. Mom, Dad, don't touch it. It's evil. Right. Uh, and then the, the the crane shot going up from there. And that's that's it. Sean Connery shows up at the end there as a fireman. Right. And pulls him out. And he was filming a different movie at the time, but he was nearby. So they asked him to come in and do that last shot. And it wasn't scripted or anything. And you'd think... Oh, well, that was T- Terry Gilliam's concession to it being a more family movie, but not really because he just gets on the truck and he's like, well, all right then. And then he drives <laughs> away. They still leave Kevin all alone. He right. didn't like help him out. He's not still Agamemnon. You know, it's just, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just so bizarre. But you know, again, there's so much imagery in this that you're not going to shake. It stays with you. The people that have seen it know exactly what we're talking about. The ones that have it, you need to give it a shot because you've seen so much of this stuff before just in other movies that people have ripped off. And it's right. a and great way to get into some Terry Gilliam stuff because you'll want more after watching this one. Yeah, it it certainly it certainly does. I, I think, man, I've got to say that it's, it's his opus. I mean, the music in it is fantastic. All the effects, e- evil when when his gut when his fingers right. flip open and he shoots things with them. Yeah, and like there's so many little things in this movie that we can't even cover it. But you're going to be watching it, going, "What did I just see?" and and how can I see more? Like right. like Brick said, you're gonna you're gonna want more. Right, absolutely. And you'll see 
this style and everything he does is not just one, a one-time wacky thing. You see this throughout everything he does. Yeah. And I, I think it's a it's an attention to detail and quality. Yep. And I thought Eric the Viking was him, but it turns out that's Terry Jones. Really? Yeah, I, I was looking into his movies and I saw Eric the Viking not among them, but but on the same page. That that's a surprise to me because for some reason I always thought it was Terry Gilliam as well. Well, I think Terry Gilliam plays is an actor in it. I think he and plays so. the, the the Christian who can't see him because he's got the, right. <laughs> the thing on the, the father of the of the woman that he's with. Yeah, I, I think that's Terry Gilliam. So now you see me. Now you don't. Know. <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong on that one. John Cleese is in there, too. I know that for sure. <laughs> Moving on. All right. I'm going to give it a rating. I'm going to give it uh, 10 dwarves in spaceships with lasers. 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 Whoa. My hand, my face just froze in that yeah, place. It's breaking up quite a bit for some reason. I don't know why. Well, it's because I'm way out here in Alaska. <laughs> I'm, I'm filming the sequel to Never Cry, Never Cry Wolf. It's Never Cry Otter. <laughs> no, no. I'm going to give it 15 little people hitting each other. <laughs> and we're going old school here. Brian Blessed, what do you think of, of Top Bandits? The hunter becomes the hunter. Well, that sounds good to me. Man, he liked it enough to be like playing the tambourine while he That's was talking. That's right. Yeah, tambourine says it all. <laughs> all right, we'll be right back. Well, hello and welcome. I'm Hood. Robin Hood. The Sherwood Forest Games are the finest of events in all of England. They sure beat that dreadful Nottingham's tax extravaganza. Here you will find fun things to do. Like Spittoon Wars. Yes, yes, like that. And also, arm wrestling championships. Where you may be lucky enough to win the golden arm. Ah, well done. And don't forget, at the end of the day... To obtain your prizes and treasure upon departure. Here you go. Yes, yes, and here's one for you. And don't forget to get your free punch from a married man. So, come on down to the Sherwood Forest Games. Fun for the kids, fun for the adults. It's a jolly good time. A jolly good time. A jolly, 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 jolly good time. What's wrong, honey? Oh, it's the neighbors again. Why can't they just go away? Well, they can, honey. All I have to use is my evil bake oven. The next day. I just don't see a problem with my dog crapping in your yard. I mean, we all have to go. Just let him take care of business. I agree. 
Pumpkin bread? Why, yeah, I'd love some. Yes, the evil bake oven can be used in lots of problem-solving ways. That boss that won't give you a raise. Cupcake? Well, yeah, thank you, Jake. The annoying kids from down the street. You want some cookies? The Pokemon Go players own your property. Hey, look, there's hey, one. A Charizard. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. Want a Pikachu pop? Yeah, they'd hey, be yeah, awesome, I want man. Peace of mind never tasted so good. It's the Evil Bake Oven. It's E V I L. Hey there, faithful listeners. This is Danny Bennett of the Hail Ming Power Hour, and I just wanted to give you reasons to watch Time Bandits. In case we didn't get to everything, and I know we didn't, I recorded this separate item so that we can make sure that we get all of those reasons in there. The reasons to watch Time Bandits. First of all is the map. The map is fantastic. The art in it looks like some kind of a cartographer's dream. All the holes in it, it almost looks like a map of the cosmos. The thing's incredible, and it came up, it took a, a real creative mind to come up with it. The Time Bandits. And my favorite, Randall. Now, that guy knows how to lead a group of bandits through time. I mean, he's just, uh, he's a leader's leader. He's a man's man. He's a little man's little man. Love him to death. Um, thinking of you, David Rappaport. Agamemnon, played by Sean Connery. And he starts out by killing the Minotaur on the edge of town in the desert. He ends up by getting duped by the, uh, the time bandits. But the whole time, he really eats up the screen. Mycenae in general. All of the cool masks, all of the great sets. It really brings you to the point where you believe that this boy is lost in time and he ended up in ancient Greece. Uh, the recurring lovers, Shelley Duvall and Michael Palin, they bring a huge amount of comedy in just a short skit that they return to every time, and it's and it's great. It's totally Monty Python. The uh, history and the dwarves, uh, they're interlopers and they're protagonists, and every time this group of bandits shows up, they make something happen in time, and again, they eat up the screen. Everything around them is lush, and everything they do is irreverent, and it is such subtle humor. Um, the Supreme Being and the Pink Bunkadoo. So, the Supreme Being employed the dwarves and they came up with this giant hideous repugnant tree and that's why they got kicked out i've always loved that the time of legends where they go through the negative space and their black tuxedos turn white they end up in the time of legends with giants and ogres and a long vast desert and the reveal of the fortress of ultimate darkness where they break through this this facade of sky and on the other side is just this dark fortress. It's stark and it's beautiful. The Fortress of the Darkness itself. It has, starts out with a, with a maze and it ends with a showdown with evil, which is so full of just creativity from a Clive Barker-esque carnival ride that kills a bunch of cowboys to him controlling a, a machine from the future and uh, dropping a huge column on one of the dwarves. The whole thing is just a ride. And that's going right past the jailbreak scene when they break out of the giant cage that's suspended. I watch it. You're never going to see anything like it again. And then we end it all with a song by George Harrison, who was involved in the production of the movie, but I'm not going to get into that right now. What I am going to say is that fantastic acting, awesome actors, incredible sets, great directing, and everything looks phenomenal. Stop right now what you're doing and go watch Terry Gilliam's arguably best movie, Time Bandits. Thanks for your time. Yeah.
All right, everybody, welcome back to our second movie for episode 15. It's Willow. Willow, 1988, Ron Howard directed George Lucas produced Willow. It had Ward Davis in it, who was inside the, the Wicket, the Ewok costume. I mean, yeah. among all the other stuff he does. I mean, he's Ward Davis. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's just somebody we grew up with watching all this stuff. And I saw the behind-the-scenes making of this thing, and he was only 18 years old when they made this movie, man. No kidding. Right. So think about that. I mean, how young had he had to have been when he was an Ewok? He'd be really, yeah. really young. So uh, that's pretty staggering if you think about making somebody a main character and he's 18 years old. We don't even do that now. Usually somebody playing a teen is somebody that's in their 20s. So uh, That's true. And, and one of the things was, was George Lucas and working with him was just so was so smitten with him as a person that he wanted right. to give him a platform. He, he was just – he loved him. He's a, he's a nice guy, and they wanted to give him a movie. Speaking of nice guys, to give us a synopsis, it's Tommy Chong. Oh, hey, man. This is Tommy Chong, man. I'm here in the woods to talk to you about one of my favorite movies, man. I'm talking about Willow, man. It's the story of a guy who likes trees so much, they call him, you guessed it, Tree Man. <laughs> anyway, he moves into the forest and meets the chipmunks and muskrats and chimpanzees, man. And then a big old willow comes to him. And he's like, run for president, man. <laughs> so he does, and he wins. Great movie, man. Great story. Yeah! <laughs> I think That's Tommy. The movie. Yeah. I think Tommy Chong was making fun of me because <laughs> I say man, I say man all the time. <laughs> I think he might have a beat on that one. I think he says it more. Man. Oh, that's great, man. <laughs> that's great, man. It's great, man. <laughs> All right, man. I believe you love this one a little more than I oh. do. So take off with it. Why do we watch Willow? We can get into the plot, but I'm just going to say the first reason to watch it is the rat dogs, man. That's the first thing on like, my list. Rat dogs. I mean, it's this Beastmaster-esque sequence where the baby's born and they run. And what do they send to go get him? What do yeah. they send, Rick? Rat dogs. These big dogs that have big rat tails. They're terrifying. They really are. And they don't have rat tails like a bad haircut rat tail. They have, like, tails like rat. Well, they probably have those, too. And they probably listen to, Tommy Tong, I hear your Tommy Tong. <laughs> Damn No, no, that, that, that's that's what it is. Then, so rat dogs. That's my first reason to watch it. What what do you got? James Horner doing the soundtrack. James Horner, and be, since James Horner came up last time, and I and I put up together a little nursery rhyme. I also wrote one for this one. Oh. I said James Horner, James Horner, send Willow some music. <laughs>
I think you're going to take that one on the road, man. Yeah. I'm going to bank the whole farm on that one. <laughs> I can tell you really spent a long time. Just that thought process on that one was, was just intense. Handwriting is really pretty. You just can't see it. And I'm not going to show you on the camera either, so don't have <laughs> All right, another reason to watch Willow is the mean boss hog looking little dwarf guy. <laughs> What's Burgle his name? Cut. Burgle Cut. Burgle Cut, man. He, like, he, he looks like Boss Hog. He does. And, you know, I, I worked with a guy who who incessantly would, would, like, whenever something happened, he'd come around the corner and be like, Burgle Cut? <laughs> he, he was an interesting dude, but yeah. Burgle Cut's kind of the banker of the village, kind of like, you owe me money because I own all the seeds and you have seeds, so you must have stole from me. Like, he comes he comes in, he's like blustering around and, and accusing people of stealing stuff. He's awful. He's, he's the, the town butthead. Right. <laughs> well, I'm going to say that Burgle Cut comes with the, the bird poop connection, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's there's the the birds are released and you get, ah, hit in the face <laughs> with, with, with bird poop. So you get that. So you'll watch it for Burgle Cut and you say, man, what a bad guy. And then you'll be satisfied that he got bird poop in the face. I'm going to say that the next thing on my, my list, well, obviously Val Kilmer is Mad Mardigan. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's it's on the list. Yeah, It's, it's way high yeah. up on the list. I've got him right above Billy Barty. That's how important he is. Billy Barty, man. He, he's <laughs> he's up here, too. I didn't, he didn't make my list of, of main reasons, but I knew we'd talk about him. Yeah. Um. But yeah, man, Val Kilmer, before he was a poop scoop, man. Well, you know, Val Kilmer, like, I think Willow and and probably the last thing that he did that was, that was really good was Tombstone. And I'm not going to detract from him because he did some awesome stuff. It's just he kind of kind of dropped off. Batman forever. <laughs> I actually kind of like Batman forever. You know, I kind of do too, actually. You <laughs> I mean, it, it went... Toward Batman and Robin, which was a, a stinking pile, but Batman and Robin. <laughs> Batman Forever didn't deep six Val uh, uh, Kilmer, but Batman and Robin may have deep six Alicia Silverstone. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, back to a movie that's worth Anyways. the crap. <laughs> so, so in case you're not familiar with Willow. You should go check it out, especially if you like fantasy movies. They're not all—they don't always catch on, and I think that might have happened with this one. Um, you got a very Beastmaster-esque kind of thing. Prophesied baby, baby is born. Evil Queen Babmorda goes to get her. Uh, she's rescued by a midwife. The midwife sends her down the river and right into the hands of Willow and his wife, who are going to protect her because they're good people. And at first they just want to, you know, Willow at first is like, I'm just going to shove her down the river, you know, just like Luke and Star Wars is like, I'm not going with them crazy rebellion. I've got the harvest. Right. It, they always have to be pushed into it. But when they, they come to the challenge, they, they meet it. So just to get you up to speed, we're talking about it. They meet Mad Mardigan. He's your Han Solo type character. Absolutely. You meet him. He's, he's hanging out somewhere. They've, they've got him in a cage because he, uh, <laughs> he did something that the town didn't want him to do, you know, probably something to do with a girl. And they end up saying, well, you know, he's a, he's a human. He's a, he's a daikini. We can give this baby to him. Right. And, uh, you know, Willow's like, I don't know about that. And, well, yeah, he's right. Cause not too long after they lose him, that brings Willow back in to try and save the baby. And 
Yeah. Now we're caught up, but but definitely it's, Val Kilmer is fantastic. It's a good role for him. It's it's like you said, it's one of his better roles. Yeah, it's awesome. And like I said, next on the list, it's Billy Barty, man. Billy uh, Barty. I just grew. I, I'll be honest with you. Anything with Billy Barty in it, I'm going to watch. I, I'm just. I, I grew up with Billy Barty on Saturday mornings, so he's like a family member. <laughs> Whenever I think of Billy Barty, I think of UHF with him. <laughs> with, his name is the cameraman. He's right. got his own camera, and his name is Noodles. And he he hoists the camera up on his shoulder and it says Noodles on the side. Right. I always think of that. And right after that, it's usually uh, Under the Rainbow. Uh, Under the Rainbow. Uh, he's the little Nazi on there. What about Night Patrol? Remember Night, Night Patrol? Patrol? He's the police chief that keeps saying, uh, Crap tonight to Linda Blair. <laughs> crap tonight. About, crap uh, tonight. <laughs> foul play. Foul play. Foul yeah. play. He's the Bible salesman. Absolutely. And Andrew <laughs> and Everlasting Life pops open. The, no. She throws him out the window at the broom. He's just one of those guys we grew up with, man. Like I said, Saturday mornings, all the Sid Morty Croft stuff. It's Billy Marty. So Billy Marty shows up, and he is the sorcerer who's come to get an apprentice. Willow's interested in the job with some other people, and he says, you know, show me the finger of power, and Willow picks the wrong one. And, <laughs> and, I'll uh, show you the finger of power. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. <laughs> He's got a little test, and then he says, there will be no uh, apprentice this year. Right, because you all suck, basically. So That's right. Yeah. So Willow and these other guys, they go off to to give this baby away. They end up all abandoning him, and Willow's the only one that sticks around to be in the adventure. And it's a lot like The Hobbit, too. There's a big Hobbit connection. Right. Yeah, you can kind of tell that's what they were pulling from with this and just trying to make their own fantasy to, to build off of, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the the name of uh, the names of the cities, like like um, Tirasleen, right. and it's all like Minas Tirith, or or uh, you know, maybe not Gondor, but there are lots of these elven sounding names from from Tolkien. Funky Town. Won't you take me there? Yes. Helming. <laughs> um. Anyway, Mad Mardigan shows up. He ends up falling in love with uh, the queen's daughter, who's one of her generals, because of uh, some magical intervention. And that's one of the things I like about it, to be honest. I, I like the, the whole magic love dust thing. It's, it's just a great little <laughs> that's a great little scene. subplot there. Yeah, yeah, that is a really great scene. And it, and it sets up, you know, for the rest of the movie, really, of what happens. So. But the real reason to watch this movie? Ninja Stars. There are ninja stars in this movie, man. There are? Yeah. When they're on the wagon and the whole wagon attack, the first thing they throw is like a ninja star. Nice. Yes. So what, yeah, remember I, what I said back early on, even when we talk about Kroll? What are kids like? Ninja stars. Ninja stars, kids. That's right. People in chicken outfits and ninja stars and ninja star business cards. That's, that's <laughs> our new commercial venture. <laughs> and I've also got Ace of Mace. <laughs> so, so dudes, you know, get the mace and he just chunks it back and hits the guy with it. And then at the same time, you're hearing the song, Oh, that she wants is another baby. Because that's, you know, they're trying to get the baby. That was a stretch. What about the uh, the brownies? The, the two little. Right. Uh, yeah. I, I, that may have been 
what wasn't the appeal for me. I guess I was at the age to where this was starting to, you know, it's a little too hokey for me to have the little bitty people. That's just an age thing. I can see where it was a draw. And at the time, they didn't quite. ILM did the effects, obviously, because George Lucas was involved. And they did a good job, but they were still using a lot of blue screen. Right. They, They didn't even use forced perspective like they do in the new Hobbit movies, which really makes everything seem real. Yeah. And it was a little that that effect did come across as a little bit heavy handed. Yeah. But, you know, they, they served a purpose in the plot and they were OK. You know, they, at the time, though, it was still pretty groundbreaking. I mean, they were using it in a way it hadn't really been used a lot. And there's a lot of stuff on the documentary about it where, you know, they were doing some things a little differently with it. But uh, there's other things in this movie that that stand out a bit more. The, the two headed dragon thing, whatever that thing yeah. was. It was definitely that that thing was a big effects draw. So right. that's going to lead me right into we're not going to outline the plot for you. You get it. There's a baby. The bad guys want the baby. The good guys want to keep the baby safe. Bad guys and good guys are intertwining. You got General Kale. General you got Kale. Sor- Sorsha is the, the girl who's uh, Bab Morda's daughter. Right. All these things are in play. But what the uh, sorceress, uh, Finn Raziel, uh, who they're going after to get, you know, who's kind of Bab Morda's, uh, you know, the, the bad guy's foil. She's like, if we just get to Tira's lean, if we just get to Tira's lean, yeah. then we'll be, we'll be fine. If we get to Tira's lean, we'll be help. We'll have help there. When they get there, it's abandoned. Right. You know, there, there are trolls that live there. Everybody in there is dead. But this is, is what I walked away from that movie with. Mad Mardigan gets there early. He goes into the armory. He puts on all the armor that they have, helmets, and <laughs> and he sets up crossbows at like every port. And he's he just becomes this one man booby trap. That's right. And and they they fend off almost an entire army just through Mad Mardigan's like like set up traps. It's it's a great like I don't know it's reminiscent of Ash in um in Evil Dead or in uh, army, of army of Darkness. You know, kind of a. If we just do this stuff, then we can create a strategy. I loved it. Right. I it's loved it. And Just like Alvin C. York. Just like Alvin C. York, the and, pride of Texas <laughs> and your, your end of the, the state. Hell me. He's hanging from a, from a tree branch with a, with a knife in his teeth. That's right. Alvin C. York. Yeah, yeah, why not? <laughs> I got to – well, the trolls I thought were a, a good reason to check this movie out. Those things are They're awesome. Cool. Yeah. They're all awesome. climbing up upside down and up walls right. and stuff. So you're gonna, turn stuff. you're gonna go through this movie and you'll get through some parts you kinda go, Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you'll wanna stop and see this whole fight where he's talking about right here, because the trolls are crawling everywhere, the bad guys are showing up. You just got two or three people that are fending them off. It's pretty dang awesome. This this two headed dragon shows up, you know, in the middle of that. Well which it, first but, seems like what I was gonna say, because it's one of the trolls. Right. Right. It gets hit with some kind of magic that right. transforms it. Is it the wand? Because he's trying so. to transform her back. Yeah, right. he's got Fenris the wand. Yeah, it transforms the, this troll into this great. It kind of cracks open, right? And the dragon comes out of it. Little like heads come head. out of it. Then he knocks it off in the water, and that just makes it start really starting to grow. Uh, uh, you know, I'll tell you right now. You watch that whole thing because this thing seems like it might not be a good, um, it, you know, a good thing for the heroes. But it ends up eating just as many bad guys oh, yeah. as heroes. You know, it's it's the whole like non-discriminate killing machine in the middle of the battle. So it's right. a, it's a good thing. 
And also, it's very reminiscent of the Rancor because it actually will grab people. And you see the one where they grab the mm-hmm. one bad guy and they like rip him in half. They both get a bite of him, pull. So it's got a lot yeah. of cool scenes like that that were ahead of its time for, for that kind of uh, effect. So pretty cool. I've also got Eric that's on here, his buddy. Yeah. And uh, yeah. the reason I know him, because he was in Superman 3, he was Brad, <laughs> the boyfriend that was such a bunghole. Right, right, and and he was the one that told Richard Pryor. So what? But do you need a trash can? Is that, <laughs> know what you need? Uh, so he's just that character in any movie he's in. So, but uh, he ends up kind of saving the day. Another big one for oh, me: yeah. the sleigh ride, man. Yeah, the sleigh ride, ride is the, awesome. Like riding the shield. There's a big uh, escape in the in the in the winter time, and and they go down this this hillside. As, and Matt Mardigan picks up swords for the first time, and right. and uh, he he does so well that Willow's over there going, "You are, you are great. the great, he, yeah, yeah." Because he tells everybody, "I'm, you know, I'm great." Yeah, he just never has a, a chance to show it, and he finally does. But yeah, that whole scene is great. And then at the end, when he's rolling down the hill and he turns into a giant snowball, I mean, it's just like something out of Warner Brothers cartoons, yeah. man. <laughs> oh yeah, um, it's a swashbuckling adventure, and that's right. what, what's fun about it. I, I I don't know why it didn't hit the mark. I would have liked to have seen a second or a third one. I sure. wish they'd admit them, you know. The only sleigh ride I can think it's any better than this would probably be the one in Christmas Vacation. Because <laughs> they're almost the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> right you are, Ken. <laughs> All right. So, so, so far we've got Rat Dogs. We've got Burgle Cut. Uh, we got uh, Mad Martigan, a.k.a. Val Kilmer. And we've got uh, Billy Barty. I, I put down, you know, the little, little Lay and Squiggy uh, brownie guys. Sure. But, yeah. 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 They, Kevin, Kevin, they're, they're fun. Yeah, they're fun to watch. They the effects are neat, and they're they're comedy relief for the kids. Absolutely, is a lot of what they are. Yeah, um, got the the soundtrack by James Horner. Um, I got the Tears Lean standoff, which is definitely yeah. like kind of the the crux of the movie comes right. together there. Yes, yeah, really. Um, good. General Kale is kind of a, a Darth Vader type figure. I'm going to put him in there. Right. General Kale. He's got a big skull helmet. Um, where Sorsha ends up kind of falling in with the good guys because um, Mad Mardigan's in love with her and, and she just can't shake him. You know, General Kale stays loyal to the dark side and, and he is, he's a beast. Right. Yeah. That's, that's good stuff. And not to give too much away, but there's an excellent sword duel at, at the end of the fight, uh, which is great. It's very, uh, it, it ends with a, like a Jack Burton surprise, if that means anything to you. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Well, and before that, like, you know, they, they go to besiege Babmorda's uh, fortress and, you know, they, they're outside of fort, you know, they, and they have kind of a ragtag army that they've managed to get, um, of this pretty strong, but still, you know, they can't siege a castle. So they have to figure out a way in and they have a great plan that, yeah. that they, they, they get, get their way in and kind of a Trojan horse kind of thing. That's definitely worth watching. It's just as right. good as Tyrion's lean, really. When you watch it, you know, it's one of those you stand up and you go, yeah, because it's just, it's yeah. just good versus evil and good prevails. And not to give anything away at the end, it's got a great battle at the end between the, the good witch and the bad witch, if you want to call them that, sorceresses. Yeah. But, uh, man, that's that's a throwdown that could very easily be in one of the Lord of the Rings movies. Yeah. But not to give it too much away, and you said it earlier today in the text, the old disappearing pig trick. Right, right. Willow has has done this disappearing pig trick uh, for the villagers, and 
you know, it's kind of foreshadowed. And at the end, he breaks it out again because, you know, his cunning needs to win the day. And it sure does. I mean, he, he saves the, the girl and defeats the bad guy all with this one act of misdirection. Yep. It's, uh, it's got everything. That The reason to watch the movie is really because it's got great acting. It's got awesome characters. It's got cool effects. And it's got lots of really clever plot twists that make it into a, a great good versus evil fantasy movie. Right. Uh, I'm going to say right now, if you haven't seen it, go check it out. And if you haven't seen it in a while, check it out check again. Yep, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Because all we're doing is just ripping this thing off and doing other renditions of this movie over and over when you can go back and watch the best version of it. It's pretty much that simple. Uh, It's got everything in it that you expect from a George Lucas slash Spielberg type movie. Uh, It fits that genre so well. It's kind of, to me, it's almost like the end of it, too. It's almost the last one of this type from from Lucas or Spielberg at this time period because it seemed to really change when we got into the 90s. So this is, a, to me, a kind of a last hurrah when it comes to that style of filmmaking where it's just over-the-top adventure, swashbuckling, fun time. It's a fun roller coaster movie. Yeah, and I've got the, the music stuck in my head right now. James Horner, man. I had to check to, to see if, if who did it because yeah. I really thought it was Alan Silvestri. It reminds me a lot of the music sure. from uh, Back to the Future. Right. James Horner, man. Hey, you know, and... and I'll say the best. The best quote from the um, from the movie is uh, "Burgle cut." No, it's not "Burgle cut." <laughs> but the best quote from the movie is uh, "How could I love her? She kicked me in the face." From Mad Margin. How could I love her? She kicked, she me, kicked in me in the face. And uh, you know, in real genius style, you know, he's. he's uh, what do you, I don't what do you understand? <laughs> I'm overacting because I'm Mel Kilmer. But it what, works. What um, are you looking at? Your leg. I was thinking of how I'd like to break it. <laughs> So it's it's just got some good stuff in it, man. Like like we said, it's one to revisit. Or if you haven't seen it for the first time, you're not going to be too disappointed. It's it's got a lot of great stuff in it. It's entertaining. I'm sure that young kids would still love it because it has that such an adventurous feel to it that you can't yeah. help but get pulled into it. So I, I highly recommend I both be, of these. It'd be great for the kids. Yeah, man. Uh, rating time. Yeah, I think I think we're there. All right, I give it uh, fifteen. The uh, dwarf kids that run out to Willow. Oh, it's so cute. Ain't they cute? They're, they're so cute. And and Warwick Davis is is just a cute little guy in that too. Like, you know, he's he's plowing the field, and you're like, oh, he looks. <laughs> he doesn't look like him. Anyway, well, I'm gonna give it. Um, I'm gonna give it 21 chow bowls for your rat dogs. <laughs> chow bowls. That's different. Brian Blessed. What do you think of Willow? What is this? Madness. Oh. I don't know. I, I'm kind of mixed on what he feels on that one. I I think he liked it. Yeah, I, we'll go with that. <laughs> he liked it. He liked it. What happens when everybody's favorite little person... Moves in with Crocodile Dundee. That's a knife. Just kids having fun. (laughs) 
It's comedy that's magically hilarious from down under. In Leave It to Burgle Cut. Okie doke, folks. Glad you hung out with us. Like we said, episode 15, we covered a lot of ground. And uh, trying, again, still still trying some different things here, trying to entertain you guys better and make things grow. Uh, Legion has started a, a YouTube page as well where they're going to start pushing some things visually. So uh, that's exciting news. What are you doing? <laughs> so, we're visual now. We're yeah, we're visual. Look oh. out. It's coming right for us. But uh, appreciate you guys listening and uh, checking things out. Make sure you go check us out on Legion Podcast. Check us out on Facebook. We got a lot of stuff going on. And uh, if you got ideas for shows coming up or some stuff you want us to cover, just let us know. Yeah, throw in there and say, Rick, Danny, you skipped my favorite line from Time Bandits. You skipped it, and I hate yep. you forever. But I'm still going to listen because I'm a loyal fan. That's what I want you to hear. You know, I want you to say, you have every right to complain about what we do, but you still need to listen because you just do. Yeah, I like that. So, yeah, I mean, we covered rat dogs. We covered you know giant uh, cattle-headed monsters and evil and the – And lots uh, of dwarves. The Supreme Being and lots of dwarves in both movies. You, we covered Mad Mardigan and Val Kilmer and um, Sean Connery. Sean Connery and Van Morrison and yep, um, Jack Black, Shelley Duvall and Robert Duvall and when's the Falco. Last? Falco. <laughs> Falco. Damning. Uncle Nutsy's Clubhouse. <laughs> Uncle Nutsy's Clubhouse. <laughs> What's your name, Billy? <laughs> <laughs> Billy who? <laughs> oh, that'll be coming up soon, folks. If you haven't yeah. seen UHF, go ahead and watch it because we're going to talk about it for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right, you got yeah. anything else, Danny? No, I just wanted to, to say, you know, if there's anything we missed out of these, I'll gladly do a whole other episode about them. But I didn't want to bog down by going <laughs> line by line by line because right. they, they definitely have a lot of stuff to cover. Our, our point of doing this show is not to take you through the entire movie. It's to make you intrigued enough to go and go check it out yourself. We don't want to reveal too much. These are just highlights to get you to check it out. So that's the way we approach this thing. We want you to go and actually show some love to these movies. That's all we yeah, want. And if you can't watch them because of your dogs, you just, just bring them down here. I'll watch them. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I guess we're out of here. Take it easy. We'll see you next episode. See ya. <laughs> that would get us points for sure. No. <laughs> it's Labyrinth. Mm. Up or down. The song, you know, kind of reflected how he was angry with Terry Gilliam near the end of it. I'm like, I don't hear any anger there. Maybe there's some <laughs> lyrics. I don't know. I don't know any of the lyrics. So It seemed like a pretty happy song to me. <laughs> George Harris is like, I'm mad at you. So I'm going to write this song. <laughs> Happiness and butterflies. <laughs> I got my mind set on you. Play that saxophone, chipmunk.